number 50 on the Spirit of Soho mural is dancer, film star and singer Jesse Matthews, who was born in Soho in 1907. Before chatting to my guest today, the writer, historian and now soul DJ Rob Baker about Jesse Matthews, he suggested I do a straw poll of my friends to see how many people under the age of 50 have heard of her. What I discovered from this unscientific survey was that apart from some classic film nerds of my acquaintance, not a single person knew who Jessie Matthews was. But in her 1930s heyday, she was hugely famous, probably the biggest film star of her day. To quote Dirk Bogart, who talked about her in a BBC documentary made about Jessie in 1987, she was a dazzling star, and yet today she's almost forgotten. I spoke to Rob Baker down the line from his home and began with the obvious question. Who was Jessie Matthews and what qualifies her to be on the spirit of Soho Mule? Well, she was, she was actually born in Berwick Street, I think 94 Berwick Street, above a, um, a butcher's shop. At a very young age, about 18, 19, she was probably the biggest star on the West End, so that would have been about in the mid-20s. And then she became uh, a film star... In, in this country and probably, you know, one of the most famous actresses in this country throughout the 30s. So um, she was very, very famous indeed. When did that change in her fortunes occur? When did she become... When did she, when did she drop out of the public imagination? Well, she was very famous on and off the screen, really, and I'm not including her that she was a big stage star at the beginning. She got in a lot of sort of divorce scrapes that were, you know, front-page fodder for the equivalent of the tabloids. She was so famous. She was a proper, you know, she came from a working-class family. She was the, I think she was the sixth child out of 16, of whom only 11 survived. And she came from a very working-class family. It's, you know, three or four kids in a bed, you know, and they lived off bread and dripping, essentially, from the butcher's shop, probably. And she became a big star very, very, very quickly. And I think she found it very difficult. Her husbands were always sort of sort of people that would give her security as opposed to actually really falling in love with them. And then by the end of the 1930s and going into the war, she lost a child. I think it was stillborn or, or died soon after birth. And uh, she adopted a child. And then everything sort of seemed to go wrong and she had mental problems she had a serious breakdown when she was uh, in America and was actually you know put into an asylum and was there for quite a while and she her career never really recovered and she well it it slightly recovered she became um, she became an actor in Mrs Dale's diary which was a soap opera on the BBC. I came across her years ago about 10 11 years ago in uh, I saw a picture of her dressed as a boy uh, smoking a cigar uh, and with an actor called Griffith Jones in a, in a film called First a Girl which came out in 1935 at about the top of her top of her fame she just had a a huge uh, hit called Evergreen and she looks absolutely amazing in those pictures and I thought well, I've never heard of her I wonder who she was and then realize and, and you know realized that she was she was a huge star and and, and born as I said you know in above a shop in Berwick Street and uh, she had elocution lessons, um, which I think everybody had to in those days from a working class background until relatively recently, really. And those elocution lessons and the way she was taught to sing just do not 
they don't work today. <laughs> they don't work today. So yeah, if you it's hear us, it's incredibly, incredibly posh, isn't it? The way she talks. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, it's, and, it's, and, and it sounds very strange to our ears now. When I was young, they told me in quaint old nursery rhymes. She was given some of, you know, some of the Noel Coward, Rodgers and Hart, Gershwin to sing, and uh, and, and would be the first person to sing those songs. And so she, in those days, she was seen as a, you know, as a good singer. But it just today's ears, you can't. It just, it's just a warble. Yeah, and, it's a and, high-pitched and, vibrato, isn't it? It's yeah, 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 yeah. And her, and I, I presume it's that it's their equivalent of of singers nowadays on Britain's Got Talent or something, and how they they sort of warble as well, but in a different way. And I think probably in thirty years' time, they'll sound just as ridiculous. I, I already think. complain about those those. <laughs> And she was married altogether three times, wasn't she? Altogether three times. The first time at a young age to a man called Henry Lytton Jr., Harry Lytton Jr., who had his own problems. His father, Sir Henry Lytton Sr., was a sort of um, uh, very famous for singing Gilbert and Sullivan at the Savoy Opera, and his son could never really... (laughs) live up to him and 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 i think when they got married excuse me my cat is walking right across the the, uh, computer so so can i start again uh when they got married in the uh early 20s mid 20s um he was having an affair with all the chorus girls i think within a week of them being married he he wasn't a pleasant pleasant uh person and then jesse got uh started having an affair with a, a comedian who was a very good comedian uh, Sonny, Sonny Hale, and uh, they had a much longer, longer marriage. But essentially, she stole Sonny Hale off Evelyn Lay, a very, very beautiful actress. And there was a very, very messy divorce, which was uh, in all the papers. And Evelyn Lay had come across letters that uh, Jesse Matthews had sent, uh, going into excruciating detail unfortunately i couldn't find the letters i did i did a lot of research (laughs) so if anybody knows where they are please let me know we've got a few quotes my darling i want you and need you badly all of you and for a very long time i'm lying here waiting for you to possess me the dear little boobs which you love so much are waiting for you also so uh there you go this was read out in court and and the judge uh called her disgusting but um you know, she, she, the stuff that she did after that were, were, were the biggest things she did. And she did lots of films with, with Sonny, didn't she? He directed her in, in a fair few films. Yeah, so, so Evergreen, which was uh, a movie, 1934, 1935, which was probably her biggest film, and, and, and on stage a few years before, that was the Rodgers and Hart musical. He co-starred in that. It was produced by Michael Balkan and directed by Victor Saville. And Graham Greene gave it really good reviews, saying it's it's you know it's been really brilliantly directed. After that, I think uh, Sunny Hale started directing her as well, and she never really the heights of her fame never really came back again after that. He just he certainly wasn't a great director, and and so her career sort of went downhill when they were working together in that way. I assume she became incredibly rich in her heyday. I, I suppose she was, and then, but she lost. Her and her husband lost a fortune over a theatre production, and what happened? It was just about they put lots of their own money in into it, and that that was it. Was meant to start, I think, September nineteen thirty nine. So um, 
events got in the way and so they lost a lot of money and she ended up having a job on a film stage play and then a film in America and while she was there she that's when she had her serious mental breakdown and Sonny Hale was on stage and he said I think it's best that I stay here and let the show go on so he didn't bother to go and see uh, look after her in America and uh, when eventually when she did get better and come back to England and don't forget that they had a uh, adopted child by this point she came back and he was uh, having an affair with uh, with the child's nanny so that was the end of that marriage as well she she wasn't very lucky with her men and then uh, she got married again for the third time in 1945. Jessie Matthews had a couple of songs that became her signature tunes. One of them was Over My Shoulder, and another one was My Heart Stood Still. And in, in the chapter about Jessie, one of your books, there's quite an interesting story about how that song came to be written for her. The musical was This Year of Grace, and Rogers and Hart came over to London to write the music. It was being produced by C.B. Cochrane, but you know, the theatre impresario. And uh, he heard the song for the first time and he said, well, I like it, but you've got to have a verse. Where's the verse? And uh, Jessie, in her, I think it was in her biography, she, uh, she said, Larry Hart, who was sitting in the stalls with his hat on the back of his head, the inevitable cigar sticking out of his mouth, jumped up, rushed down the aisle and onto the stage. You want a verse? You want a verse? Right. He pulled an envelope out of his pocket and leaning across the proscenium started to scribble. How's this? He turned to me. How do you like this, babe? He handed me the envelope. Think you can read my writing? It became famous, my heart stood still, because the Prince of Wales was, he was in Plymouth at a dance and he'd already heard the song and he asked the band leader uh, to play My Heart Sit Still and he hadn't a clue what it was so the prince had to hum it and then they played it from the song and it got into the news and it became a huge a huge hit after that it became the most popular song since Tea for Two in 1922 I think the, the song most famous nowadays is um, um, Over, the Sh- Over Your Shoulder Over the Shoulder I did hear that people used to say because she had developed a reputation for being a bit of a hussy people yeah. used to sing Over My Shoulder Goes One Leg <laughs> Um, which is a bit rude. <laughs> Maybe too rude for Soho Radio. And probably sexist as well. And very sexist, yeah. So that, I think that's probably more the problem now. She was in a film called Good Companions, and at the uh, the royal showing of the film, she wasn't allowed to meet uh, the royal family because because of the divorce. I mean, it's difficult to sort of acknowledge that nowadays, but that in those days, you know, getting divorced... And getting divorced so it's all over the newspapers was a big, big deal and a real no-no to polite society. And that's one of the reasons why, you know, she struggled to, to get to the heights that she, she had before. So was it her getting divorced that was the terrible thing or her being named in Sonny Hale's divorce? The Sonny Hale's divorce, I think, and, and, and perhaps both. I think a lot of people blamed Jesse Matthews in the way that they blame women, don't they? They don't blame Sonny Hale. There was probably sexism, classism, people knew she was working class. And so when they thought she had ideas above her station, I, I suspect she got criticised more than most. And her and accent was so preposterous. Yeah. It seemed like she was kind of, you know... Be what, someone that she wasn't. Yeah, really, kind of reach so above the station. And I do feel sorry for Jessie Matthews, and I think she was... Like really working class, you know, I think she could hardly write, you know, 
and then suddenly I don't know I just always have felt a bit sorry for her and and so she she went through lots of really terrible times in her life and she did look looking after she had terrible taste in men she was in Mrs Dale's diary in the 60s she was awarded an OBE in 1970 and uh, she appeared in Tales of the Unexpected and uh, and BBC series Angels if you uh people are old enough can just about remember that and she played Wallace Simpson's Aunt Bessie in uh, Edward and Mrs Simpson she was never really um, very well after the war at all and she, she died of cancer at age 74 and for my- 